Well, good morning, everybody. While that uh, list is being passed around, I've got a couple more things that I want to tell you about this morning. First of all, this afternoon at 1.30, from 1.30 to 3 o'clock, our youth group is going to be meeting today. They're going to be doing a scavenger hunt uh, this afternoon. Uh, they've got beautiful weather for it. They're going to be spending some time outside. But when you arrive, uh, make sure you head up into the fellowship hall. That's where everything's going to start. And then uh, uh, Becky is going to be running that scavenger hunt this afternoon. Uh, really excited to see some youth out this afternoon for that event. Um, also wanted to um, say a couple of thank yous this morning. Uh, a lot of times we don't talk about things like who takes care of the church, who takes care of the building, who takes care of making sure that everything is working. Um, and I just want to uh, show some appreciation today. First of all, to our trustees um, who have just worked tirelessly to make sure that um, water's not leaking uh, into the church, that, uh, that the, the, the lawn is mowed and all the people that sign up for, for the summer to mow the lawn uh, make sure that uh, the, the grounds are safe. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've done anything out back lately, like the movie nights or things like that, um, they've, they've covered those <laughs> ditches that people used to like have to, to, to jump over. Uh, they've covered those. They've made those safe for people um, and uh, really appreciate all of those things that, uh, that the trustees are doing. Um, and uh, yesterday I was here uh, in the morning. Uh, Kathy and Louis D'Onofrio showed up. They did some power washing of the schoolhouse. Uh, finished up some stuff that they were doing there and uh, so they've been taking care of some things and Louie has been uh, uh, sealing some of the cracks in the schoolhouse with, uh, with concrete, with cement uh, to make sure that that is ready for the youth group. Uh, so again, just want to uh, thank those people. want we'll to also thank the LIU uh, from Bermudian Springs School District who come here every week and clean the church. They vacuum and they empty the trash. They do all of those things. Um, so we appreciate um, the LIU coming out, those students coming out and doing that work for us. Back in 1987, um, I attended Army basic training. I really, I wasn't as, as big as I am now. <laughs> um, but I attended basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia. Now, for those of you who don't know Fort Benning, that's where the infantry uh, trains its soldiers. Um, I had joined the Maryland Army National Guard. Um, I wanted to join as a public affairs person, and they said, well, there's no spots for public affairs. Why don't you go into the infantry? It'll be fun. <laughs> and I said, all right. And so, <laughs> foolishly, I took a semester off from uh, college, I flew down to Georgia, went to the training, and uh, it was every bit as horrible as you would imagine. It was, it was not good. At up at 5 o'clock every morning, at 5.15, uh, you had to be dressed, you had to be ready, you had to go out and do PT, which for those of you who are not initiated into Army lingo is physical training. Um, physical training was 
lots of push-ups, lots of sit-ups, lots of leg raises, lots of uh, torturous kinds of things that we were doing, um, and of course, the three to five mile run. Um, now, I, I said I wasn't as big as I am now, but I was still a pretty big guy, and a three to five mile run was just not something that I was up for. But one of the worst things in this, and it was only 13 weeks, I was only there for like three months, one of the worst things that, that we had to do was survival training. We had to go out and learn how to fend for ourselves with nobody else helping us. And so they marched us out from the barracks and we had no idea how long we were going. It was, it was a 20 mile march with 60 pound rucksacks and nothing else. And the, the march, only, it took like maybe, I don't know, it was like maybe six hours. I mean, it, we were going at a pretty good clip. And when we got dropped off, they basically just said, all right, see you in three days. No water, no food, nothing. Just what we had, our clothes, our equipment. And so I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever been thirsty? I mean, like, like really, really thirsty. Not like this, I haven't had water in an hour and my mouth is a little parched thirsty. I'm talking about the cracked lips and the dry, and the, you know, the little uh, things that like form at the corners of your uh, mouth, you know, that white foamy kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, not good. Uh, and when you haven't drunk water in a day or two, it gets, it, you get pretty desperate. And one of the first things they taught us before, they did, they taught us some things before we went out. One of the first things they taught us was the first thing you do before you do anything else, you find water. They did. And they said, you don't, you don't set up camp. You don't set up your tent. You don't cook food, even though we didn't have any food. But you don't do anything until you set up camp or until you find water. And if you didn't do that, you were going to be in bad shape. Because we were gone for three days. And most medical sources say you can only survive about three or four days without water. So getting water was, was really just kind of this important thing. And we did. We found water. They, didn't, they weren't totally, uh, you know, sadistic. They, they dropped us where there was water maybe another mile and a half, you know, so add another mile and a half to your trip, and then you find the water. But let me ask you another question. You ever been hungry? And I'm not talking about, oh, I skipped lunch today, hungry. I'm talking about you haven't eaten anything in like two or three days, kind of hungry. Now, and I've, uh, a lot of us have fasted, we've, we've done those kinds of things, but, but to just be like expending all of this energy, I mean, a 20-mile walk, and we had eaten like in the morning, 20-mile walk is going to burn about 4,000 calories, which is most... I mean, we don't eat 4,000 calories a day, so automatically we're starting to burn calories from our fat. And they didn't leave us any food. They didn't tell us to bring any food. They didn't do anything 
we had to find food for ourselves. Now, a couple of guys, they were great. They found like, you know, they were able to like build these traps and, and uh, a couple of them got a rabbit or a couple of them got like a squirrel. One guy got a rattlesnake. That was like, like the coolest thing, right? He, just, he saw this rattlesnake and he took his, uh, his digging tool, um, his trench tool, and he like chopped the head off and cooked it and ate it. Yeah, I know, it's disgusting, right? It really is, and it tastes like chicken. But, um, <laughs> but our platoon was like 20 guys. And a little rabbit and a little squirrel and a little rattlesnake wasn't going around for very much. And we were hungry. And now we weren't in any real danger because, you know, medically speaking, you can go three or four weeks, sometimes, you know, maybe even a couple of months without food as long as you have water. So we had water, we were cool. But I'll tell you, most of the guys in my platoon were basically just kind of sitting around. You ever have that headache where you, you know, you're hungry and you just like don't know what to do and you can't think and you're thirsty and you start having these mirages, right? You see those movies where they have the mirages out in the desert when they can, it's true. People like start hallucinating. And when we got back, Guys were literally like pushing and shoving and fighting each other to get to be first in line at the mess hall because we were desperate for something to eat. We were desperate for something to drink. We even wouldn't mind like army food. That was how desperate we were to eat something. And those of you who've ever been in the military know what I'm talking about. We were desperate. We were so hungry. And this week, we're continuing our sermon series called Blessed, the Beatitudes. And this morning, we're going to look at Matthew 5, 6, the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, Jesus isn't talking here, of course, about physical hunger or physical thirst, but he's talking in a way that really helps us to maybe understand what he's talking about. Because if we've ever been hungry, if we've ever been thirsty, if we've ever been desperate for food and, and water, we kind of understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that we as Christians should desperately yearn for righteousness, that we should desperately seek it out. So like when I was in the line at the mess hall, I didn't just want to eat. I was desperate to eat. When we've been hungry for a couple of days, we're desperate to eat. And that's what Jesus is talking about. The hunger and thirst for righteousness means that we are starving for righteousness. We cannot be satisfied until we find that righteousness. We, we need it to survive. We need it to live. Now, the word righteousness here means justice. That's what the word means in the Greek. It means the fulfillment of the law. Now, when we think of justice, we think of things being put right, right? So something is wrong. Uh, somebody has done something against us. When somebody, uh, you know, steals something or does assault or rape or murder or any of those egregious crimes. We want justice. We want to see them pay for their crimes. 
But justice isn't just about making things right. Justice is about things being right in the first place. Because if things are right in the first place, we don't need punishment. We don't need to have somebody pay for something they've done wrong because things are already right. And if we're honest, we seek justice. How many, of, how many of you would agree that you seek justice? You think that things should be just, things should be fair. But most of the time we seek justice for ourselves. Or we seek justice like for our close family members. We want everything to be fair and equal for them. How often do we look at other people? How often do we look at people that we don't know and want justice for them? Righteousness is about things being right. And it's about things being right for everyone. But even that justice really doesn't catch what Jesus is trying to say here. Jesus is talking about things being right for everyone all the time the first time. Jesus is talking about telling his disciples what we're supposed to do, which is to seek the right the first time, every time, all the time for everyone. We, we should want things to be right. We should, we should be desperate for things to be right. We should be looking to treat people in the right way all the time. We should be starving for that. And as it happens, the only way for things to be right every time, all the time, is when we understand in ourselves that there is no one righteous except God. There is no one righteous except God. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. And this, as it is written, Paul is actually quoting Psalm chapter 14. Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And in here in the psalm, they're talking about doing good. And this is what Paul means and what Jesus means about righteousness. It's doing what is right. Righteousness is synonymous with good. And we ought to be craving good. We ought to be craving doing good. We should be so starved for doing good that we seek out ways to do good so that we can be satisfied. And one day a man 
came to Jesus with a question. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 18, we read, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What should we be deeply yearning for? Righteousness. Rightness. Goodness. Who is good? Only God is good. As followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to be deeply yearning for God's goodness, for God's righteousness. We should be looking at Jesus Christ as the example of what goodness, of what righteousness looks like because Jesus was the personification of God's righteousness. When he came to earth, when he taught us, he started out with the Beatitudes. He's teaching us what it's supposed to look like if we're going to be his disciples, if we're going to live forever with him, live forever with God, like we talked about last week. When we are going to live in eternity in the presence of God, we should be looking to Jesus to see how we should be doing things. And Jesus taught us these Beatitudes, and he preached this Sermon on the Mount, and then all throughout the rest of his ministry, he showed us, he reminded us what it is to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't be anxious for food or drink. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we need to be desperate for. In the Gospel of John chapter 4, we read about another encounter that Jesus had, this time with a Samaritan woman at a well, a place to draw water. And Jesus asks this woman for a drink of water. He sits down. There's nobody else around. It's just him and the woman. And he says, can, I, can, can you give me a, a glass of water? And the woman very rightly argues that you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. How could you possibly be asking me for a drink of water? Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink of water, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And then just a few moments later, he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the water in the well, the water that she's been drawing out, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In this one encounter, Jesus is describing why he came to earth. So that we might have eternal life. And he uses this symbol of water as a reminder that we ought to thirst, that we ought to desire 
eternal life and that we ought to desire righteousness as a way to obtain eternal life. And a couple of chapters later in John chapter 6, John's talking with his disciples and his disciples ask him a question. They say, why did you come here? Now, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. And many of us know that story. Jesus takes five loaves of bread, two little fish. He feeds 5,000 people. They have all kinds of leftovers. Then right after that, the disciples leave. Jesus tells them, go leave. And then uh, he takes a stroll on a stormy sea and comes up to the boat and then gets in the boat and calms the, the, the storm. And then the next day, Jesus and his apostles, the 12, went to Capernaum. And everybody was looking for him. All 5,000 of those people that had just been fed with five loaves and two fish, they're looking for him. They have no idea where he is. Finally, they find him in Capernaum, and they say, we've been looking all over for you. Why did you come here? And they meant here, to this place, to Capernaum. Why did you come here? Why didn't you stay with us? But Jesus uses this as an opportunity not to tell them why he came here to Capernaum, but why he came here to earth. And starting in John 6, 26, we read, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. I fed you. That's why you're looking for me. You want me to do it again? You want me to keep feeding you? That's for whatever reason why you think I'm here. But then he goes on, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. I fed you with bread and fish, and now you're hungry again. You want me to feed you again. That's not why I'm here. You're going to need bread and fish every single day of your lives. Jesus says, don't work for bread and fish. Do not be anxious for food or drink or clothing. Do not work for, brood, uh, for, for bread and fish. Work for the food that I can give you, the food that leads to eternal life. And then he talks about manna. He talks about this bread that God rained down on the people of Israel for 40 years while they were wandering around in the wilderness because they couldn't get their act together and trust God. So they wandered around for 40 years, but God still fed them every single day with this manna that he rained down from heaven. And Jesus uses this example, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he. Well, that's an odd statement. The bread of God is he? The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is talking about himself here. 
bread of life is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we hunger and thirst after Jesus, God's Son, whom he sent as the bread of life, if we hunger after him, we will be filled with life. We will be filled with eternal life. Jesus wants us to know this. He has talked about bread and water and hunger and thirst all throughout his ministry. You can read about it in the four Gospels. Read them. Jesus is constantly reminding us to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to hunger and thirst after him, the bread of life who gives the well of water that springs up inside of us. But Jesus wasn't done reminding us just for that time. Jesus gives us another concrete example of what he's talking about. He wants us to remember. We're going to commemorate communion this morning. On the night before Jesus died, he was eating dinner with his disciples. And at one point during the meal, he picks up this, this, this loaf of bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he passes it around to all of his disciples. And he says this, take this and eat it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus used this loaf of bread as a representation of his physical body. And he wants them to remember after he has died, after they watch him crucified, after they watch him buried in a tomb, that he has died for them. But it also seems clear that Jesus is just giving us another reminder about him as the bread of life. Because he's told his disciples all through this time, I'm going to die. But I'm going to come back after three days. They always seemed to forget that part. They always seemed to miss that little detail that Jesus tacks on to the end of his statement, I'm going to die. Oh yeah, but I'm going to come back. They focused so much on him dying that they still couldn't understand. But Jesus gives them this example of the bread as his physical body, that he is the bread of life. When you see my broken body tomorrow, when I am hanging on that cross after I have been beaten and punched and spit at and had a crown of thorns jammed onto my head, 
and I'm bleeding all over the place. When you see that, remember why I died. Remember why I'm doing this. I am doing this so that you might have eternal life, that you might eat the spiritual bread, that it is the only thing that will fill you. It is the only thing that will give you eternal life. Jesus also gave the disciples wine to drink in remembrance of him. And he told them that the wine represents his blood that is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Anybody know what wine is made of? Grapes. Anybody know what grapes are made of? Over 80% water. Grapes are over 80% water. That is why they are so tasty and juicy. 80%. Sometimes people think it's closer to 85%, depending on the, the kind of grape that you get. You know what blood is made of? About 80% water. Jesus gave his disciples wine to represent his blood but he also gave them wine because it represents water. And in this case, it represents the living water. The living water that will fill us, that will satisfy us, so that we will never thirst again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled with righteousness. They will be filled with Jesus. They will be filled with God. They will be filled with eternal life. When we hunger, when we thirst for God, God promises to fill us. God promises that in the end day, he will come and live with us on the new earth. He will be there. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we know that there are some times when we are not hungering or thirsting for you. We're hungering and thirsting for other things. We're looking for other things to satisfy us. We're looking for other things to fill us up. And they don't. Father, I ask that you would make us hungry. That you would make us thirsty. That you would make us desperate and starving for your goodness, for your righteousness, and that we would show that goodness and that righteousness to others.
Father, forgive us. Forgive us for every time that we try to put other things ahead of hungering and thirsting for you. Every time that we try to substitute things, try to substitute even relationships with other people for our relationship with you. Because you are the only person who can satisfy us. You are the only person who can fill us. and You are the only person who can grant us forgiveness of sin and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, I ask that you would bless this time of communion. I ask that you would help us to remember not only your son's death and resurrection on the cross. Let us remember that he is the bread of life and that he gives the spring of water that leads to eternal life. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. As I said this morning, we're going to commemorate Jesus' command of remembrance by taking communion. And before we take the cup and before we take the bread, we ought to examine ourselves. We ought to ask forgiveness for our sins. We ought to think about the ways that we've sinned against others. And ask God to show us how To make things right. I'll give you a few moments in silent prayer, examine yourselves, and then the deacons will come forward that are serving communion this morning. Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? My prayer for you this week is that you will look 
for God's goodness. And you will practice God's righteousness in every place in your life. God bless you this week.